Chapter 12 of Zarek by Voltaire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Zadig. Chapter 12. The Rendezvous. Whilst Zadig attended his friend Setoc to Balzora, the priests of the stars were determined to punish him, as all the costly jewels and other valuable decorations in which every young widow that sacrificed herself on her husband's funeral pile were their customary fee. Tis no great wonder, indeed, that they were inclined to burn poor Zadig for playing them such a scurvy trick. Zadig, therefore, was accused of holding heretical and damnable tenets in regard to the celestial host. The deposed and swore point-blank that he had been heard to aver that the stars never sat in the sea. This horrid, blasphemous declaration thunderstruck all the judges, and they were ready to rend their mantles at the sound of such an impious assertion, and they would have made Zadig, had he been a man of substance, paid very severely for his heretical notions. But in the height of their pity and compassion for even such an infidel, they would lay no fine upon him but content themselves with seeing him roasted alive before a slow fire. Setoc, though without hopes of success, used all the interest he had to save his bosom friend from so shocking a death, but they turned a deaf ear to all his remonstrances and obliged him to hold his tongue. The young widow Almona, who by this time was not only reconciled to living a little longer, but had some taste for the pleasures of life, and knew that she was entirely indebted to Zadig, for it resolved, if possible, to free her benefactor from being burnt, as he had before convinced her of the folly of it in her case. She pondered upon this weighty affair very seriously but said nothing to any one whomsoever. Zadig was to be executed the next day, and she had only a few hours left to carry her project into execution. Now the reader shall hear with how much benevolence and discretion this amiable widow behaved on this emergent occasion. In the first place, she made use of the most costly perfumes and dressed herself to the utmost advantage to render her charms as conspicuous as possible, and thus gaily attired demanded a private audience of the high priest of the stars. Upon her first admittance into his august and venerable presence, she addressed herself in the following terms, O thou firstborn and well-beloved son of the great bear, brother of the bull and first cousin to the dog these you must know were the pontiff's high titles i come to confess myself before you my conscience is my accuser and i am terribly afraid i have been guilty of a mortal sin by declining the stated custom of burning myself on my husband's funeral pile 
what could tempt me in short to a prolongation of my life i can't imagine i who am grown a perfect skeleton all wrinkled and deformed she paused and pulling off with a negligent but artful air her long silk gloves she displayed a soft plump naked arm and white as snow you see sir said she that all my charms are blasted blasted madame said the lucius pontiff no your charms are still resistless his eyes and his mouth with which he kissed her hand confirmed their power such an arm madame by the great orasmidas i never saw before alas said the widow with a modest blush my arm sir tis probable may have the advantage of any hidden part but see good father what a neck is here as yellow as saffron an object not worth regarding then she displayed such a snowy panting bosom that nature could not mend it a rosebud on an ivory apple would if set in competition with her spotless whiteness make no better appearance than common matter upon a shrub and the whitest wool just out of the laver were she but by would seem but of a light brown hue her neck her large black sparkling eyes that languishingly rolled and seemed as twere on fire her lovely cheeks glowing with white and red her nose that was not unlike the tower of mount lebanon her lips which were like two borders of coral enclosing two rows of the best pearls in the arabian sea such a combination i say of charms made the old pontiff judge she was scarce twenty years of age and in a kind of flutter to make her a declaration of his tender regard for her almona perceiving him enamoured begged his interest in favour of zadig alas my dear charmer my interest alone when you request the favour would be but a poor compliment i'll take care his acquittance shall be signed by three more of my brother priests do you sign first however said almona with all my soul said the amorous pontiff provided you will be kind my dearest you do me too much honour said almona but should you give yourself the trouble to pay me a visit after sunset and as soon as the star sheet twinkles on the horizon you shall find me most venerable father reposed upon a rosy-coloured silver sofa where you shall use your pleasure with your humble servant with that she made him a low courtesy took up zadig's general release as soon as duly signed and left the old dowagered all over love though somewhat diffident of his own abilities the residue of the day he spent in his bagnio he drank large enlivening draughts of a water distilled from the cinnamon of ceylon and the costly spices of tidor and turnate and waited with the utmost impatience for the uprising 
of the brilliant sheet. In the meantime, Almuna went to the second pontiff. He assured her that the sun, moon, and all the starry hosts of heaven were but languid fires to her bright eyes. He put the question to her, in short, at once, and agreed to sign upon her compliance. She suffered herself to be over-persuaded and made an assignation to meet him at a certain place, as soon as the star Algenib should make its appearance. From him she repaired to the third and fourth pontiff, taking care wherever she went to see Zadig's acquaintance duly signed and made fresh appointments in the rising of star after star. When she had carried her point thus far, she sent a proper message to the judges of the court who had condemned Sadiq, requesting that they would come to her house that she might advise with them upon an affair of the last importance. They waited on her accordingly. She produced Zadig's discharge, duly signed by four several hands, and told them the definitive treaty between all the contracting parties. Each of the pontifical gallants observed their summons to a moment. Each was startled at the sight of his rival, but perfectly thunderstruck to see the judges before whom the widow had laid open her case. Zadig procured an absolute pardon, and Setoc was so charmed with the artful address of Almona that he married her the next day. Zadig went afterwards to throw himself at the feet of his fair benefactress. Setoc and he took their leave of each other with tears in their eyes, and vowing that an eternal mutual friendship should be preserved between them, and in short, should fortune at any time afterwards prove more propitious than could well be expected to either party. The other should partake of an equal share of his success. Zadig steered his course towards Syria, forever pondering on the hard fate of the justly admired Astarte and reflecting on his own stars that so obstinately darted down their malignant rays and continued daily to torment him. What, said he, to pay four hundred ounces of gold for only seeing a bitch pass by me, to be condemned to be beheaded for four witless verses in praise of the king, to be strangled to death because a queen was pleased to look upon me, to be made a prisoner and sold as a slave for saving a young lady from being sorely abused by a brute rather than a man, and to be upon the brink of being roasted alive, for no other offence than saving for the future all the widows in Arabia from becoming idle burnt offerings and mingling their ashes with those of their deceased worthless husbands. End of chapter 12